Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thanks again for joining us here on Season 2 of Faith in Your Recovery. We believe that when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're going to be here for you and with you. We get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, that sense of loss and confusion, hurt, pain, guilt. We understand it. Whether we're your first choice or last chance, we believe that together, by God's help, we can make a difference. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a pastor as well as founder of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. Have a special guest today. His title, his past, has opened a lot of doors for him, but his story opens hearts. I'm anxious to hear it, anxious to get into that. It's 1993 Indiana Mr. Basketball from Anderson High School, Maurice Kojak Fuller. Welcome, Kojak. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's good to have you on board, hey, buddy. Listen, it's good to be here. Good Let, to be here. Let's have some fun. We'll keep it raw and real. We'll see what we can do to help touch, change, and save lives here. Hey, Amen. I'm with that. Yeah, yeah with we're that. coming from that same heart. I can tell that. Absolutely. In a hurry. I'm gonna guess there are people out there who have no idea where your middle name came from. Why a name like Kojak? I get it. That goes back to my day, but share it with the folks, please. Right, right. First of all, let me say thank you uh, to Reverend Davis. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk to you. Man, it's an encouragement to sit here uh, right across from you, man. You're like a ball of fire. <laughs> and, and I love it because I'm. that's one of my prayers. Lord, if you allow me to see the latter days of my life, I still want to be on fire for you and so um yeah my 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 nickname is it's not my middle name because my my complete full name is maurice dion fuller okay see kojak is a nickname that uh my great grandmother gave me and uh she loved telly savalas she loved to watch telly savalas and so i didn't have any hair till i was a year and two months and I only had two strings. And so she was just like, hey, this is my Kojak right here. You know, I, I know the Kojak on TV, but this is my Kojak. And it's stuck. And from that day on, from a baby, from one year old, I've been called Kojak. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, Kojak, for those folks who may not know, that goes back to kind of, I think, the mid-70s. Telly Savalas, he played a detective kind of sleuth. Uh, he came from a Greek background, and one of the lines he used to like to always Loves use you, was, you know, I, I believe everybody should be a little bit Greek, okay? <laughs> and also, he had this penchant, this love of Tootsie Roll Pops. So here's this guy who could handle anybody on the street or wherever life would lead him, grabbing onto his Tootsie Roll Pops. There's stories <laughs> behind that as well. 
It was said that it wasn't the things he would say on air, but how he would say them. And I'm going to guess you've got that same knack for words, and we'll get into that here in a few moments. But he had a tagline. Do you know what that tagline was by chance, Kojak? Was it, who loves you, baby? That's it, exactly. <laughs> and I love that. We're yeah. going to talk about who loves us, okay? Amen. And we'll talk Amen. about some of those haters, too. But yes, sir. Uh, we're not going to put them down. We're just going to let the folks we know we've all them. got them, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. So you come from that basketball background. We'll get into that in a little bit. But are you coaching today? Are you still into coaching well, I'm not actually coaching like a physical basketball team. Um, the last thing that I did was I did coach my grandson, uh, who there was a first and second grade basketball team. Some young men, listen, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And, and just to give back and to see these young men develop, you know, that's going from not playing at all to where they have a, they have a hunger you know, to get better. And so that's what I did. So I'm really not back into coaching. Uh, just have some uh, more important things um, that I'm focusing on at this moment, you know, because lives are at stake. That's important. We're going to look at those things as well. I've had some coaching experience, not at the high school, did a lot of coaching at middle school level. Yes. Uh, wrestling, football, and uh, just you know, love being involved, and still to this day, I'm as fond as being called, hey, coach, as oh, I am, hey, preacher. Absolutely. Okay, and absolutely. I have no shame in being called preacher, but to have a young man walk up to you <laughs> that, and address, hey, coach, yes. that takes me back to a good time in my life, absolutely. and hopefully a good time in theirs as well. I know you're a graduate of Anderson High School. Yes, You sir. played there, what used to be called the old wigwam. Yes. And uh, tell us a little bit about your high school basketball career, what that looked like, how you got into basketball. Reflect on some of that, please. Oh, sure. Um, how I got into basketball, first and foremost, was my family, a uh, very athletic uh, family. I come from a, a family that, that played every sport. Uh, and basketball, we had more that played basketball. Um, and so uncles, older cousins, uh, they definitely played, really brought out the competitiveness in me. Uh, n people in the neighborhood, you know, we all played, had a goal on the back of my grandmother's garage. And that was like the neighborhood basketball. That was like the community center there, you know, without walls, though. <laughs> and so... Hey, that's where, you know, I really got the love of basketball and and where the competitive, competitiveness came from. And so as time went on, starting to get better, uh, I really had a love for uh, football too, you know, and I played baseball. I mean, I was an athlete. But as time went on, I started to see myself get better at basketball and the response that I was getting from basketball really was the deciding factor. Hey, look, let me go ahead and go this way because I think I may have a, a better future in this arena right here. And so, How yeah. old were you when you recognized basketball was going to be your game? When I was in junior high school, 
you know, when I was in junior high school, I was playing a lot of basketball, travel basketball. And then when I got to high school, my coach was like, Norm Hale, he was like, hey, listen, you know, you don't play no basketball. I mean, don't play no football. You know, hey, listen, we can't afford for you to get hurt. So that was just almost confirmation to where I was like, hey, listen, you know, yeah, football is a different sport, you know, uh, man, to get guys coming at you ready to take your head off. I said, listen, I said, you know, it may be better for me health-wise, you know, uh, if I go ahead and play basketball. And so it was an easy decision for me, you know, because I was starting to see some success in basketball. So, yeah, that's when, when uh, I decided basketball was for me. I like that. Let me fill in a little note here. I haven't thought of it in years, but you just brought it back to me. I'm a sophomore playing JV ball yes. at uh, Delta. Well, it was actually at Royerton High School before it became Delta. Okay. Okay. And my basketball coach, my JV coach, is also the high school football coach. And I remember my skill level well, I probably wouldn't have been on the floor with you, okay? <laughs> but what I do remember is if the ball was on the floor, I was going after it at yes. all costs. And I remember going after it one time, and the coach called me to the side, and he just said, Davis, you need to go to football instead of basketball. <laughs> so just the opposite of you. Yeah. But it worked for me, okay? Right. And, and I'm glad he made that decision for Absolutely. me. And Absolutely. And confirmed what I knew. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's funny there. That's so funny. Uh, through that high school career, you obviously were very successful and got, you know, quite a few accolades and a title or two from that. Tell us about it. Yes, I did. Um, the recognition that I that I received from basketball was was I, I think it was it was the point of really changing, transforming my life. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it it actually the attention actually became an addiction for me. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. The publicity actually became an addiction for me. Um, because what people didn't know was the things that I was going through off of the court. And so they were only addressing me based off of what they saw me do, and that was play basketball. And so that's how they addressed me, and they had no idea the things that I was a father as a freshman, that I had my first child at 15. They had no idea I had my second child at 16. And so by the time I'm a senior in high school, I have three children. And, and, and nobody knows, really. You know, it's, they, it's getting out. Like, the community know, hey, this, this young man has a child, has a couple, ch you know, a child or two. But they don't understand the pressure that, that, I'm, that I'm going through as being a, a figure in the community, in the state for basketball. And I have this responsive, huge responsibility on my back, you know. And, and it's like, what do I do? How do I balance the two? You know, and so actually I was really drowning and I was just good at performing. And so uh, I was good at smiling in people's face saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And and I knew how to do that and be dying on the inside. And nobody ever knew. You were living a double life of a sort there. One life on the court with the claim and the fame and the other one where you were struggling and hurting every moment. Abs probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I learned how to do that. 
I learned how to use basketball as a defense mechanism because if I could be really good at this game called basketball, people would be okay with, with the surface part of me, you know, which is what I did, basketball. Yeah. But they really wouldn't try to go beyond what they see on the surface and really dig into my life and say, what's going on? I need to know what's going on with you outside of basketball. And so, you know, because we live in an image-driven society and it's about how you look on the outside, people were okay with, with only knowing that I was a good basketball player. Okay. So your senior year, you obviously have a good year. That's yes, sir. 1993, and you end up being selected as number one jersey when it comes to that Kentucky-Indiana All-Star game as Mr. Basketball, correct? Hey, listen, how you say it, Mr. Davis, look, I would love to accept it like that, but the story ain't, is just not that simple. Ah, <laughs> and, tell us. Yeah, um, but as far as when it comes to uh, ending – getting close to my senior year ending it and they're making a decision for Mr. Basketball. Last thing I knew uh, was that I was in the front running for uh, Mr. Basketball. And it was, it was such um, a, a shoe in for, for me when it comes to the community, I had a lot of community people that when they made the, the decision to give Mr. Basketball to Sharon Wilkerson, Instead of me, they had T-shirts with my picture on their T-shirt saying the real Mr. Basketball. And when we had the Indiana-Kentucky game in Indianapolis, listen, I mean, the whole, it seemed like the whole Anderson section <laughs> had those T-shirts on um, just really, you know, representing like, hey, listen, this is our real Mr. Basketball. Uh, so they didn't give it to me outright. So I didn't win that honor out forthright, you know, outright. And so um, series of events go on. You know, we play Kentucky, Indiana. And, and of course, where he's from, he knows a lot of these guys from Kentucky. Sharon Wilkerson, he's from Jeffersonville, Indiana. And so he knows, you know, the kids that – that's, uh, right there on the line. Right there, there on the line. Neighbors. Right, absolutely. So he plays basketball, pickup ball with them on a daily on a daily basis. And um, when you look at our team on paper, we were really supposed we were outmatched. You know, when it comes to talent wise, you look and you be like, oh, Indiana has no chance of beating this team. As a matter of fact, in the newspaper, they said that Indiana that the Minnesota Timberwolves have a better chance at winning the NBA championship than Indiana beating Kentucky. All right, that <laughs> well, said something. Again. Listen, that's saying a whole lot because in '93 the Minnesota Timberwolves was in dead last place. Yes, I mean the worst team in the NBA, and so um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so here it is, um, just how things was played. Um, uh, Things went on with Sharon and the coach, and uh, after the game, well, coach didn't play him second half. After the game, Sharon came in, quit, and right then and there, you know, uh, the organization, uh, the Indiana High School organization was like, hey, we're not going to name another Mr. Basketball. And so, you know, I, I, I guess that they were, I felt like 
that that conversation or that comment was meant for me. And I was like, okay, at that time, I was like, listen, it's no sweat. I'm not even worried about Mr. Basketball. I'm going to represent Indiana regardless of where I go. And, um, and so that was that. And so they beat us. They beat us in Kentucky. So when we come back to Indiana now, we don't have Sharon Wilkerson. He's not on our team no more. And we beat Kentucky worse than they beat us. And so now it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Hey, um, and after that, I get a phone call. After about a few days later, I'm playing into community center here in Anderson, which uh, we call it the Geeter Center, and pick up ball. And, and I get a phone call, and it's, and it's Pat Aikman, and um, he was the commissioner for the Indian High School uh, basketball. And um, he was like, hey, you know, we considered, we reconsidered, and we named you Mr. Basketball. How do you feel? I was like, Man, I don't feel no type of way, you know. <laughs> and I was like, as a matter of fact, you know, I'm a representative Indiana. I don't want it. And I hung the phone up. And you know, at this time, they're backtracking. And so it was like, oh, wow. So then my all-star coach called uh, Jim Hamill. And uh, he called and he was like, hey, Kojak, listen, you know, uh, yeah, we made a mistake. We judged the book by its cover. And so uh, we see that you're not the person that we thought you were or that we thought you were going to be. They thought I was going to come to the program or come to the workout uh, top 40 workout with an attitude, with an arrogance that, hey, y'all made a mad, y'all made a bad mistake. And, you know, they thought I was going to have a certain attitude to where it was going to be like, forget the world, you know, uh, I don't like y'all and different things. But, you know, listen, I came from a family, you know, my mama, she demanded respect, you know, and how I represented her outside of our home was important to her. And so I knew how to be respectful. And, and just through life, I understood that, man, everybody's not going to like you, and you have to be okay with that. You better and, be. Right. And that can't dictate who you are. Exactly. And so when I came in, I was, are you doing yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you know, and just showed an attitude to where they were, like, blown away, and I still did what I came to do, which was play basketball. And the results that we got from that, they were like, hey, listen, man, this kid is nothing uh, like what we thought he was like. And um, and so then they wanted to give me Mr. Basketball. Well, the only reason why I took Mr. Basketball was because my mom, she was devastated when I didn't get it. Um, because she knew that when I look stati statistically, when I look at the stats, I see my son is, you know, statistically, hey, listen, he's number one, you know. And uh, when it didn't happen like that, she was she was kind of crushed. And she just knew something that I didn't know when it came to life. I had an experience, yes. you know. Uh, you know, yeah, the different the different uh, disparities and, and the different and how, um, I would say, uh, the different systems that set up, systemic systems, that, that are set up to uh, not to benefit, you know, definitely uh, people of color. Um, and, and it was easy to make decisions that didn't line up with what they thought was the model way, you know. And so the only reason why I took that, took the uh, title of Mr. Basketball, 
Mr. Basketball was because my mom said, listen, in history, years from this point, when they open up the books, your name is going to be there. And I was like, wow, yeah, that makes sense, Mom. And so and so then I was like, yes, okay, I'll accept Mr. Basketball. But all I did was accept the title. See, I didn't get anything that came along with that. And I'm going to say, and, 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 and this is the reason why I say that, say this, uh, uh, Brother Davis, is because there's a, a anniversary team. That, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Silver Anniversary Team. Now, this is why I say that the only thing that, that I've received from Mr. Basketball is the title. Because on the 1993 Silver Anniversary Team, everybody that I played with on the Indiana All-Star Team and some of the, uh, some of the guys that were, you know, uh, superstars in their schools but didn't make the All-Star Team, they're on this team. And no knock to them because they deserve to be there you know, because of uh, what they did, the things they accomplished on the court. But how do you not have the Mr. Basketball of 1993 on this team? That, yeah, your your words a moment ago, the system and how it's worked yeah. for years, I think we've got our answer as much as we hate to hear it or believe it, okay? Yeah. Uh, Thank you. I wasn't aware of those details, obviously, <laughs> just like you, your, you said and your mom said. Your name's in the book. Right. That's what I've seen. I, I guess I do remember Sharon. I I wasn't a basketball fan. Of, Good guy. You know, yeah. That kind. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, thank you for clearing that up. Oh, I know my that's pleasure. important to you. I wanted, you know, our folks to get the facts. Okay. Thanks for my that. My pleasure. My so, pleasure. Let's move beyond high school. Let's move beyond the Kentucky-Indiana games, the rivalries. Let's move on up a couple, three or four years, some of those things that took place in your life, that series of bad choices that led you down a dark path. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would often say, um, Pastor Davis, when it comes to athletes, I, I tell them wisdom or talent without wisdom becomes destructive. The very thing that you're good at when you don't have wisdom, when you don't learn how to use your gift or what you're good at, what you're good at uh, end up dictating your life. And that's why I say when it came to the fame, the attention, the notoriety that I received from, from playing basketball because I didn't have wisdom in my life and didn't know how to use that as an opportunity to uh, get where I needed to get to, uh, to be a blessing to people, um, to understand that, listen, this is an opportunity for me to display who Christ is because I didn't have him at that time. And so that wisdom, because I didn't have it, the very thing that I was good at became the very thing that led to my demise. And, and, and so, um, I did some things when it came to basketball. So after high school, now I'm addicted to the attention. So now I'm looking for this attention in different places. Okay, I got it in the basketball arena, but I'm not in the basketball arena anymore. So now I still want to be. The void's still there. Absolutely, absolutely. And so now I'm looking to fill that void in different areas of life. And so not forgetting 
Brother Davis, that I still have children that I need to provide for. And so now my mom was very instrumental in showing me what a work ethic was like because her work ethic was unmatched. This woman worked, I mean, sun up, sun down. But my mom's a female, and so I didn't know what it looked like, you know, from a male's point of view. So let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Was your dad not on the scene? My dad was. My dad was. He was. He was there, but he was not there. Present but absent. Uh, not even present. You okay. know, not not so much present. It's every now and then. It's. Okay. Um, when I needed something, my mom would have us, you know, she would reach out to him and, you know, that was an issue when um, spending time with him, you know, I, I would want to spend time with him. I desire to spend time with him. And and we just didn't have that that type of relationship, gotcha. you know. Uh, today, me and my dad, that's one of my favorite people. Awesome. And I love him, man, because I, I, I come to understand some things when it came to my dad. You got that wisdom you talked about earlier that you didn't have uh, 18, 19. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and one of the truths that I found out when it came to my dad is he never knew his father. So it was as if he gave me what was gave to him. Yes. And so when I came to understand that, I was like, man, my dad left me. But when I really look at it, I left my children too. Now, my dad left. My dad was not there for me, but he never went to prison. But the end result was the same. I was not there for my children, at least for seven and a half years of, of their life. I wasn't there. Gone is gone. Gone is gone. I don't care what you put, what adjective you put in front of it or whatever, you know, uh, gone is gone. And so um, I learned that uh, when it came to my dad, that helped me understand because I was praying, uh, Brother Davis, I was praying in the county jail and I was praying. I was like, God, man, change my daddy. Help him to be a father, man. I need him in my life. Teach him how to be the father that I need him to be, man. And I know, man, listen, it was just like God just dropped it in my spirit and said, listen, son, I'm going to teach you first. Let me let me deal with you first. I heard that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me deal with you first. Let me teach you how to be what I called you to be. And then I'll deal with your daddy, you know. Uh, but let me teach you how what let me teach you how to be what I called you to be, and that's his son. Yes. How can I be his son and be the best son that I can be? even when he's not performing in his position. And so God called me, he, he caused me to, to look beyond where my dad was and to focus in on where I was. How can I be a better better son to my father? And so I reached out to my dad and, and we started talking and, and listen, and I, and I seen God just work that situation out, growing me and my dad up. And strengthening our relationship, and like I said today, that had to mean oh, the man. world to him as well. It's Absolutely, it did you. But for you to give him that chance and to yes. have some sort of understanding that allowed him to be himself. Wow. So you made a comment. You said that happened while you were in jail. Why were you incarcerated? Well, I was incarcerated because of what I didn't know. Uh, and what you don't know, you know how some people be like, oh, what they don't know won't hurt. Yeah, what you don't know can very well kill you. 
But what I didn't know separated me from what I loved the most, which was my children. And uh, I didn't know how to provide for my children. I didn't know uh, how to, to, I didn't have that work ethic to go out to provide the stability financially uh, for my children. And so I did what most young people do is when they don't know where they're going, they just follow the crowd. And so I, I chose to follow the crowd and I started selling drugs. And um, thank God I got caught because I, I come to find out that I wasn't good at that. <laughs> <laughs> you were a failure right, there. So. Right, I was a failure there. <laughs> Praise God for that. Yes. You know, it just took, within me failing, you know, with me failing, it just took some time away. And so um, I went to prison for seven and a half years. What was the sentence? The sentence was I had a class A felony dealing in cocaine a thousand feet from a school. And um, they gave me 20 years, which was minimum. It was minimum 20 years. Uh, so back then with the law, you do half of that, okay? Uh, you get two days for every one. Yes. Yes. And so and then, so I got a class A dealing in cocaine, 1,000 feet from school, and then I had a class B dealing in cocaine. So they gave me 10 years probation for that. And so altogether, it was 30 years, um, so I ended up serving seven and a half and I tell you that was God and God was doing a quick work in me. I had no idea what he was doing in my life. I just knew that when he came to Jesus Christ, my grandmother, who is 95 years old today, I mean, her birthday, she, uh, turned 95 on matter of fact, brother Marcus Dennis birthday is the same um, September 15th, she turned 95, but she was very instrumental in, uh, just m making me aware of Jesus Christ. I would come in from running the streets and I would just want to get a glass of water. And she would be like, Hey, listen, uh, grandson, you need to uh, stop doing what you're doing. You need the Lord in your life. Jesus is the only way. And I'm saying to myself, man, I ain't trying to hear that. I just came to get a glass of water. You know, I don't want to hear this Jesus, this God stuff. And when I got locked up, I wanted to change, but I didn't know how. And I'm so glad my grandmother never stopped telling me what I needed. Amen. Even though I didn't want to hear it, she kept telling me what I needed. That's and a that, lesson for yes. us all. We need to hear, regardless Absolutely. of if we want to or not, Absolutely. so many things. So, and yeah. that was very instrumental in, in me allowing Christ into my life because I didn't know how to change, but I wanted to. And I thought about my grandmother was talking about Jesus, the Lord. And so I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to let you go to the next question or whatever you want to know. My prayer to God was, Lord, um, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I want to know you like nobody else. And, and this is from your prison cell. Yeah, this yes. is from the county jail when I this first got locked jail. up. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When I first got locked up, I want to change, but don't know how. My grandmother's voice, I can hear it. You need to try Jesus. And so this was my prayer. I was not led to the Lord by a pastor. I didn't say the sinner's prayer. This was the prayer that I said, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Lord, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I want to know you like nobody else. I've heard of you, but I've never seen you. And I'm going to go all the way with you because if you don't work, I'm going to tell people, man, this stuff don't work. 
That was my prayer. So how many people have you told it doesn't work? Listen to me. I ain't told not one person. You hear me? (laughs) Yes, I I do. I haven't told one person. And that was in 99. That was in 1999. and No, 98. 1998. And I haven't told one person. 24 years ago. 24 years ago. And I have never told anybody that he don't work. I've never heard it from anybody else either, okay? <laughs> and I've lived some of that experience, and I remember Amen. my moments and the yes. joy of having that and the struggle it took for me to get there. Yeah. All due to me, not due to him. Absolutely. He was ready long before I ever surrendered yes, to sir. it, all right? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. So let's go on beyond your your time of incarceration and all. So you get out of jail, you get out of prison. Where did that take you in life? And then tell us where you're at now with your ministry, okay? Okay. Um, yeah, uh, upon my, my return home, man, I just seen God doing some things in my life. He was doing a quick work in me when I was incarcerated. And so I just I understood the love of God in, in, in a different way than than what I've seen. And and the reason why I say that is I'm going to share this experience that I had when I was in prison because it has shaped, it has helped shape how I deal with people when it comes to loving them, when it comes to sharing the gospel with them. Uh, this experience has shaped that. Um, when I was in incarcerated, my, my uh, roommate, who I was living with, he was running the, the, the gang, the vice Lords. He was the head of the vice Lords. Okay. Um, and so very intelligent individual, very intelligent. And so we would have conversations about life on a regular basis, uh, about getting home to our children and, and just really encouraging and challenging, challenging each other, uh, to do what needs to be done to get there. So as we're having this conversation this day, uh, a young man knock on the door. Now he's a part of the rival gang, which is Gangster Disciples. So he comes in and he enters the, enters the conversation as well. As we're talking, the uh, knock on the door guy comes in. He's the president of the Aryan Brotherhood. He's the president of the Aryan Brotherhood. So he comes in. And next thing you know, a practicing homosexual comes in and everybody's engaged in the conversation. And it's like I'm representing the church. And when it was all said and done, I was the last one speaking and I prayed and I dismissed everybody. Right. And we was like, okay, love y'all and go. Man, right then God spoke to me. He said, I don't love you no more than I love them. Amen. That transformed my life. Yes. Yes, uh, being in the church doesn't create greater love. And the oh, truth of the man, matter come on is, now. we've got the 90 and 9 where he left Ooh, those wait. in the fold and went mm, to that mm, one that mm. was lost. Come so he's going to do that with those. Yes. Uh, he expects us to be there after we've made that commitment. Yes, he's sir. He's go after those who aren't yet. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. So that transformed my life because I was like, wait a minute, I'm trying to live for you. And you mean to tell me that they're not even trying to live for you and you don't love us no different? Like, (laughs) and so that really transformed my life because when it comes to being a part of the church, man, we want to pick and choose who we share this Jesus to. And as a matter of fact, when you come to talk about the real gospel, this is how we watered it down. Some neighborhoods Jesus can't even go to. 
he would get kicked out of certain neighborhoods <laughs> because he just don't fit there. And I'm like, man, that's not the Jesus that I read about. I don't care how hard the, the neighborhood is. This Jesus is for that neighborhood. But as people, that's what we've done. Yeah, yeah. You know. The church claims everybody's welcome. Then why aren't the pews full? Okay. Amen. They're welcome as long as they're like us. Amen. In color and attitude and belief and yes. politics and denomination. Yep. That list goes on forever Absolutely. and ever. Absolutely, yeah. So... And so that's where we're at as far as money ministries. That's what we're doing. Uh, money ministries is a, is a program, a mentoring program, uh, slash, listen, man, we're going to be used by God to help move obstacles out of the way of young people so they can see who God is calling them to be. Explain uh, that word money to the folks. I don't want them to think we're talking dollar bills. Here, oh, yeah, okay? absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the word money is an acronym, and it stands for Moving Obstacles Now for Every Youth. And so, yeah, it's, it's an acronym, but it was birthed out of pain. Uh, the word money came from uh, actually me and my grandson, uh, my four-year-old grandson, whom passed away whom God had birthed money ministries from that pain. And um, as me and my grandson would play Nerf basketball, um, every time he would score, I would say money. And when, when I would score, he would say money. And so it would, came from a period of time where, man, I was so angry with God because I didn't understand his plan. Yeah, I didn't understand how what he was doing was going to work by him allowing my grandson not to be here. And so I was so angry with God because I didn't understand. And so uh, it was a period of time where God was, he showed up. He was a 911 and, and he gave me purpose for my pain when he dropped money ministries in my spirit and gave me the what the acronym stood for. One more time with that acronym, please. Yes, Moving Obstacles Now for Every Youth. And what makes that so powerful is because my grandson, if, if I never showed you the six-inch incision that was on his chest from open-heart surgery when he was one, before he was one, or if I never told you about his condition, you would never know because he didn't look like what he was going through. And uh, the reason why he didn't look like what he was going through was because uh, the people that was around him, we magnified who he was. We didn't magnify his condition. Amen to right, that. Right. And so that's, I, I'm, and God showed me that if we as people can start magnifying who a person is, can I love you based off of who you are and not get sidetracked based off of where you are? Yes. And, and people will start to outlive their condition. And that speaks to your life as well with your Absolutely. background. Because I'm sure there's been some moments that, for lack of better terms, it's held against you. It's not forgiven. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and we've got to listen. As we wrap up here, I usually ask the question, what does our title, Faith in Your Recovery, mean to you? I'm not going to ask you that. I have another question for you. Okay. Who loves you, baby? Hey. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the master, my redeemer, man, the Lord of lords, the Lord of my life, man, uh, the great I am to me, man. Listen, he was to me 
He done for me what my mother couldn't do, what fame couldn't do, what my children couldn't do, what money couldn't do. He done for me what people can't do. And, and we need to be about that with others because there's people out there wondering who loves me. Who loves and me. we need to show them who does. Let it begin with us, and they'll see Christ in us and through us Amen. be drawn to that. Amen. Well, listen, Amen. this has been a treat for me. Thank Amen. you, sir, Praise for God. your time. Thanks for sharing your story, your heart. Thanks for the ministry you do. Amen. We've got to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Okay. I would love it. I yeah. appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Um, thank and praise God for you. Well, thank you. And thank you, folks, for tuning in. We invite you to continue to tune in. Our episodes drop each Friday. It'll probably uh, be dropping here soon, we hope. You turn to your favorite podcast platform. Let us talk to you. And don't give up hope. Stay in that battle. When the urge to quit hits you, dig in a little deeper. Hold on a little tighter. Make the knot a little bigger. Don't let go. God won't let go of you, and neither would we. Be blessed. Thank you. We love you. Amen. Amen.